This is Redefining the Counterculture on Witten Radio. Make sure to check out our website at wittenradio.com. The Punisher, a firearm-wielding vigilante, was pulled from New York Comic Con by Marvel and Netflix, something Steve Harsh, who's been attending for years, understands. I do kind of agree with that out of respect for the victims and for the situation. But another attendee, Leo Lawrence, says the Punisher didn't cause the Vegas shooting. That's only punishing the the fans, and it's only letting the idiot that did it win. Punisher or not, security here is tight with the NYPD's heavily armed anti-terrorism unit standing guard. At the Jacob Javits Convention Center in Manhattan, I'm Julie Walker. Hey guys, you're listening to another episode of Redefining the Counterculture right here on Witten Radio. Today we've got a super, super special guest for you. We're joined by the one and only Marshall Hill. Marshall, how's it going? How's it going, my man? I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. It's such an honor to have you on today's show. Um, Your work is just amazing. Um, I wanted to talk to you just a little bit about um, what got you into acting. Um, You're known as this, you know, amazing um, character actor. You know, you've got this strong legacy of just, uh, films that you've acted in. Um, what got you into it? Uh, you seem like you are also a student of the craft, which is something that I think really, really, really helps define a good actor. Um, what got you into the art? Uh, you know, um, I've always been uh, gravitated towards uh, artistic things, things that are free form and flowing, um, not static stuff. Uh, you know, I was a kid that was hyperactive back in the day. That's what they called it, you know. Um, uh, now it's EDD or ADD. Um, uh, you know, things that just captured my attention that were flowing and moving. Um, you know, I started off playing music. I was a, a virtuoso drummer. Probably I worked on my first, I recorded my first record as a drummer professionally when I was in eighth grade. Um, uh it's always creativity has always been around me um and i get lost in it and my imagination gets to run so i didn't really plan on being an actor you know in, in college i majored in music and and theater um the chicks were hot in theater not so much in music um uh so that was cool um and i dabbled and i played and i dabbled and i played and i kept being creative and then um in probably somewhere in the late 80s, um, I was in San Francisco working on an MBA, and I started working with a lady by the name of Jean Shelton. She runs the Jean Shelton Actors Lab. She was a disciple of Stella Adler and, and Lee Strasberg and that whole New York theater community. And uh, I went to, to watch one of her classes, and it just reminded me so heavily of my my my, my college stuff. It was just it's hardcore and just gritty and in your face and just she was an amazing woman and I wasn't there long but it just got everything going in me again and I knew I was coming back and so I bounced back to LA probably in 91-ish and just started grinding and didn't really ever plan on saying I'm going to be an actor I'm going to be this that way other thing um I wasn't really thinking about the end game. I was just in the present game and just grinded. And I just started working and working and working. And 
went through a, a spell there for a while that was, you know, pretty, pretty good. And, um, then, uh, was on a Fox series for a couple of years, uh, kids show did, I don't know, 50 episodes, 60, I don't know what it was, something. Um, it was a series on every day and that, and that burned me out. And I, I left the business for about six, seven years and started playing music again, started a little label, produced some records, sold a bunch, kind of ran that course. And then the little voice said, you know, it's time to start doing it again. And it gave me a chance to kind of, um, you know, refocus, uh, reprioritize, um, understand what the business really is not versus what it really is. Because uh, once you can really look at the beast and you identify it for what it truly is, then you're not so emotionally hung up on it, dependent on it, and you can um, kind of, you know, navigate through the bullshit um, and do work, you know, and, and, and look at it differently. And then I started working again. I think I went out and auditioned. My very first audition I went on, I booked the film just like that. And I hadn't been on one in seven years. And then I just went back, 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 And it just started just kind of going. And, and I've been kind of just, you know, grinding ever since. And I still say every day I'm an actor. I just get in the business and I just grind, you know. I just keep working. If they keep saying yes, then, you know, I keep working. <laughs> That's Absolutely. It. Absolutely. You hit on some, some pretty amazing things there. Um, you know, acting is it's it's such a nonlinear path. Um there's, I don't know that there's really any other way um, to, to really to get to where you've been without just hard work um, and just timing. Um, what is something that just has kept you, I guess, motivated through the years? Because I know you said you left for a period of like six or seven years um, and you came back. Um, what what kept you, I guess, coming back or just resilient? Because a lot of people try acting and they just they give up because it's just so tough, you know. It's so selective. Um, what can, it is. It is. What can, it's. It is a brutal path. It is tough, tough, tough. Um, uh, you know, I grew up. I was born in Los Angeles. I was born in the L.A. area. I've lived out here my entire life. You know, you're never more than a headshot and a screenplay away from a, a friend, an uncle, a cousin, or a, a whatever that's working in the business. I guarantee you, you walk down the street, you go to a restaurant, every person in that place has a head. Or they're working as a DP, or they're an electrician, or they're – it's just everywhere. It's everywhere. So, it, you know, I didn't move to Los Angeles to become an actor. I just was born here. So, you know, it's not like I put a timeline on it. You know, a lot of people come. A lot of people come here, and you talk to them, and they're young, and say, "Yeah, I've got a five-year plan, and a four-year plan, and a three-year plan." You know, and and I, I, I try to be as positive and supportive as I can, but I just, I'm just thinking in the back of my head, you just need to leave now. Just get the hell out of here, because it ain't going to work that way. You know, it just it doesn't. Um, uh, some people get plucked from the crowd. They're magic, you know. Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise, and you know, they pick their, they pick their, their, you know, their horses. Early on, all right, early on, and and they ride them, you know, um, and it and that's good for them. But, you know, they 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 you know they've got the glass slipper. If you're just going to be out here grinding, um, I just don't, I just don't really look at the end game because if you have to plan the end game, I'm going to be famous, I'm going to blah blah blah, all that shit. You're screwed. I mean, you're just screwed royally right from the very beginning, and so. I've never looked at that. I just say, okay, 
um, this is what's going on. This is where I am. These are the opportunities. My agent, my manager, hey, you know, I saw this guy doing this, and this guy's doing this. I'd love to read for that guy. He did a great film, blah, blah, blah. You know, and you grind, and, and you know, you, you just keep your shit out there. You just, and then if you do some decent work, then somebody says, hey, I saw you and so-and-so, I want to offer you this film. Or a guy you've worked with just calls you and says, hey, I got a new I got a new project. I'm going to start filming in six months. I want you to play blah, blah, you know. And you just kind of accumulate relationships and people um, that dig what you do or other actors refer you or produce, or whatever, and you just go, you know. Um, uh, I don't I don't really look at it as – I don't feel like I'm trying to get someplace. I'm here where I'm at, and what's in front of me is, you know, this, that, this, that. And I just kind of just keep going. It's kind of what I do. But I do go into periods of funky, you know. I mean, there are times when you just you just want to say, man, I'm done. Fuck this. You know, it's it's just, there's so much other stuff involved that you have absolutely no control of. None. And and when you worry about all the stuff that you really, truly have no control over and you have the end game, you know, you're helpless and you're emotionally um, at the mercy of things that don't necessarily want to hurt you, you know, it's just the way it is, you know, and there's not people in the business that say, screw that guy. I want to hurt his feelings today. <laughs> that doesn't happen, you know? So you just kind of, you, you take the good with the bad, you know, you take a shot on the nose, you get up and you dust yourself off and say, ah, screw it. You know, I didn't want to work with him anyway. You got to own it somehow, you know? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And then, you, and then you just move on. Yeah. Um, so you also play the drums. Tell me a little bit about kind of how you you started. Did you you started as a child? Yeah, I um, my mother taped up a bunch of old coffee cans back in the day. They used to put them in the coffee in those cans, Folgers, and they had different size cans. There was a big round one, then there was a little smaller one. She taped those things up, and there was like three of them. And I remember I had these sticks or pencils. I don't know what the heck they were. And she would put down, she would put on a, an old record, an LP of the Monkees. Oh, okay. yes. And I, I, I would sit there and just bang away and just blah, 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 blah. And just, you know, and for some reason, I just, I would sit there, I don't remember, for hours, you know. And they had the fortitude to actually buy a drum set and put up with me in this room, just smashing away, you know, and, um, uh, and I just, you know, I just, I developed a skill and they saw it and, you know, started taking lessons and kind of moved through all that. But, you know, it was, I was really good. And, you know, I would be the guy that played the drum set at the, at the school, at the school spring event and all that other kind of stuff. And then my band teacher recognized that I was good and he was involved with some group and, and they were making a record and he had me come in and play on the record. And, you know, we, I did that for a while, but, you know, I was still kind of spun out, you know, I was just this kid that just had all this energy and my mind would fly. So it was hard to keep me in it. And, um, uh, and then I discovered surfing and skateboarding and that changed me for a number of years through high school and um, so, you know, I and then I got done with that, and then I hooked up with some bands, and I was playing all over the country, just doing cover rock and all that kind of stuff. And you know, got kind of swept up in the '80s rock and roll lifestyle, which was 
basically a, kind of a free fall for all, you know. Um, uh, skydiving was safe, you know. Actually, sex was safe. Skydiving was dangerous. Right? It was a crazy time. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was crazy. It was a crazy time, you know, and I kind of squeaked through all that nonsense. Um, and But I always had my guitars with me. You know, I was dragging guitars with me everywhere I went. Um, and uh, I didn't necessarily play the drums for that, you know, during that time. Uh, but... Um, you know, when I when I set up my studio and I started my label, I went out and spent a whole gob of money on, you know, drums and gear and Pro Tools and guitars and all that kind of stuff and just kind of kept whacking. I don't really play them, per se, every day anymore. I don't even have a set anymore, to be honest with you. Um, uh, but I still have my guitars and, you know, I still sit down, play scales every day for a few hours and then, you know, put it on the stand and say, okay, what's next, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I want to go back to acting. Um, tell me, what is it that you love most about what you do? Because, you know, acting is something that's just so, um, you definitely have to have like a love for it or you won't make it at all. Um, what is it that just really draws you into the craft? Um, I think it changed. Um, I think when you first start, you kind of got, you know, the, the stars in your eyes, the, the bright lights, the, you know, all that kind of stuff, you know, grinding for fame or whatever, whatever your goal is. I think every actor has it. They don't admit it and they're lying. Um, but I think the, uh, the second, well, second, third, whatever you want to coming back in 2006, um, I think it changed. Uh, I think what happens is, you know, you, you get a script and you get a story and you go, oh, my gosh, I know that guy. And you're reading it and you can almost say the words out of your mouth before you even get to the character's lines. You're so connected. You completely understand that guy. It just connects with you. And some stuff doesn't. And when that stuff happens, you go, oh. And then you start really looking at it and you go, I know this dude. I love this dude. I want to do this guy, right? Um, and there's something that's really interesting about being able to um, kind of search yourself, search your history, identify things that you, you've done in your history and your life. You know, we've all lived. And, and acting really kind of gives me a chance to kind of go back to all those experiences that I've had and pick and choose and, 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 and find. And in the process of finding, you start, you kind of start to get to know yourself better. Um, uh, you just have to be willing to discover that kind of stuff. And I enjoy that. I enjoy um, the process of kind of synthesizing it and then figuring out how to own it, how to walk it, how he feels with the clothes on, the shoes that he's wearing, the places he's been, how he breathes, his pacing, how he views the world through his set of lenses, because everybody views the world through lenses. You have your lenses that you have grown up and been shaped by experience. I have mine, and we all have them. And trying to trying to find those different color lenses to look through, you know. Um, uh, I think that probably now I'm not so much hung up on, you know, the shiny stuff. Um, I think the best part about acting, to be honest with you right now, is when you get the phone call and they say, hey, they want you. And I still, <laughs> to, this, to, to this day, I still, I usually jump up out of wherever I'm sitting. I go, fuck yeah, I did it. 
Because <laughs> it's because it's, it's so hard. It's so freaking hard. You know, you think about a casting director and a producer, they're going to do this film, and they've got these roles, and they've got a few people they've already picked out fine. You know, and then you get, you, you, they do a, you do a, they do a casting call, and because of the internet now, right? It used to be you just competed with the actors in LA, and you competed with the actors in New York. That was it. Right? There's a lot of actors. But now you're competing with actors in freaking Philadelphia and Texas and Houston, every place across the freaking globe and in the country that has an internet connection and a, can upload shit. And they'll get 6,000, 7,000, 8,000, I'm not kidding you, submissions for one role. Wow. And, if you, and when you get it, it's, it's just like, what? No fucking way. Really? It's, and so it's an amazing just to be able to get it. And I think from that point on, it's kind of downhill. Um, uh, the next, you know, the next level is I love the dialogue with the director. I love talking to him about people, places, things, why, where, when, what if, um, and then and then synthesizing that information um, uh, to, to to sitting with the script if you have time for a month or two weeks or or six months or whatever, and just sitting in a chair and just processing and, and memorizing and then dreaming about this dude. And the more you think about him and you synthesize him into very simple things about, you know, who he is, what he really loves in his life, what he really loves in his life, that's the key for me, and what he truly wants to do. And then, you know, the more you think about it, it just kind of starts kind of seeping into you to where you can kind of just go into him and, and talk like him and be like him, you know, um, and, and all that. I like the prep work more than the actual filming of the film, for sure, in most cases. Um, filming is very technical. It's very repetitive. Um, it can be either a wonderfully supporting and joyous and creative place, a set, or it can be one that's just tenuous and tedious and, you know, just not an enjoyable place to be depending on who you're working for, their experience level, who they are as people, blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? I mean, every house you walk into isn't going to be a nice place to hang out. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I want to jump ahead and I want to talk about uh, your movie, uh, Primal Rage, which I just saw. Um, really, really, really was digging it. Um, what was it like for you preparing for this role, what did you like most about the film, and what's the biggest thing that you want the the audience to take away from the film? Wow. Um, what was the first question? Oh, okay. Um, I wanted to ask, um, what did you like most about the film? Uh, oh, okay. Um, what did I like most about the film? Uh, there was a lot. Is one of the... Um, it it was probably one of the most enjoyable shoots I've done been on in probably 25 years, and it was a small film, but it's not about the size of the movie. It's about the size of the heart in the movie, and um, Patrick is just an amazing dude. The director, co-writer, producer. Um, uh, I, I met him in, at his studio, and the second I walked in and I saw all of his, his master creations that he has done, um, 
I knew I was in the presence of somebody that was an artist and it was incredibly talented and very special at what he did. And he was showing me, I saw the original Predator. Uh, I saw the original um, uh, Alien. I, I saw all these amazing things in his studio and these people working on, on this thing. And then he showed me the suits and I just turned to him and I said, I'm in. I got an honest, it, it was a no-brainer. Absolute. You just know it when you see it. Um, and uh, he told me we're going to shoot in Oregon up in the forest. And I said, it's just, that's amazing. Um, uh, he was very calm. He knew exactly what he wanted. We talked about the character. I hadn't even read the script when I met him. And then I read it after we met. Um, uh, when you're around somebody that cares deeply and is passionate about something, you know, he's been working on this movie for over 10 years. He took him three, four years just to build the suit by hand. Every hair, single, every hair. Um, he had two, there was two bodies. There was three animatronic heads. Um, he had all my, all my hunting crew. He had, he had known all those guys before. He had already had them in his head cast and he had had them come in and do half body prosthetic, those suits of those guys when they get killed. He already knew how they were going to, the positions they were going to be in when they died. I, I looked over at this table and there was these five busts sitting on the table, all looking in these contorted faces and they were all human. I mean, they were painted and their eyes were glass and their eyebrows were mink fur. I mean, they were amazing. And I just, I just freaked out when I saw them. They were just so real. And I just, his detail was just stunning. So, you know, I figured it was, an, I had to do it. Um, uh, the shoot was amazing. Um, the crew was supportive. Everybody was in it. Um, uh, he knew exactly where every shot was going to be. He knew every shot with the tree where people were going to die. It, you know, when you have somebody that knows exactly what he wants and he's completely prepared for it, um, it's a pleasure because you don't have to sit out there in the forest. We were on a 1,200-acre private reserve forest on the border of Oregon and, and California. Um, and, you just you know, we were just hiking through the woods having a good time, you know. Um we were hiking in places that, you know, I'm sure that nobody's probably ever walked on before. <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, uh, it was it was really magnificent that way. Um, it was very family, very very communal. Um, everybody got along. As far as the film, I saw it a year ago. I don't usually watch my work. It's kind of horrifying for me. It's not good for my psyche. Um, uh, because I'd like to stay away from myself because I don't want to start editing and thinking, oh, you know, I don't look good when I turn that way. My nose is big, you know, blah, blah, blah. That's all that, that ego shit gets in the way of acting. So I try to really stay away from that. Um, the movie's intense. Um, it's absolutely, without a doubt, a movie that you have, you should see in a theater. Because if you watch it on a laptop and all that, that's cool and everything. But when in Bigfoot is 20 feet tall, and the sound is just booming. I mean, this, the mix, the sound score on the film, when it starts thundering, it's gnarly. And uh, I was blown away. You know, I was really surprised that he that he did what he did and the way he did the ending and everything. Um, I don't usually watch films that I'm in, but I was really impressed with it. It's, um, you know, it's, I think that all movies like that, you kind of 
I'll liken it to something before, you know, and it's very much like Predator. Yes, I agree, I, I agree completely. We were having this discussion before the interview, and um, it's just basically, you know, you basically like had you know reaffirmed that, you know, hey, this is, you know, you wouldn't say that this is typical, you know, like horror. It's 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 really, you know, action adventure. It's more like a thriller, and it's it kind of falls in line with Predator. It's reminiscent of the the very first Predator film. Um, well, Pat, yeah, Patrick has history with Predator. He had history with Alien. You know, he worked with uh, uh, what's the guy? Chet Baker, it's Baker, Rick Baker, um, uh, who was heavily involved with those movies. Um, you know, um, and he has lineage through that whole line of um, practical effects guys. And it does feel like Predator in some degrees. Um, it is. I don't call it a horror film at all. Um, it has. You know, I mean, there's some adventure, there's some action, you know, they're just falling off cliffs into the water. There's, you know, running from something, there's suspense, there's a thrill apart. Yeah, Bigfoot is a beast and there is some carnage, but, you know, um, uh, Predator had carnage. It wasn't a horror film. <laughs> right, uh, exactly. Um, uh, Rambo, the Rambo films, especially the later ones. Rambo's in, you know, Vietnam, and he's just lacing dudes with that big 50 caliber machine gun, and you're seeing guys, you know, blow to pieces and shit like that. That's not a horror. That's not a horror, that's not a horror film. It's just not. So, so you know, I mean, this 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 has a little bit of a, you know, an older school feel to it. You know, um, uh, it's not reinventing the wheel, but it's definitely reinventing Bigfoot. There's no question about that. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, how did you prepare for this role? I mean, because I know that you're, you're, I guess, defined as a character actor, um, and you, like every movie that I've seen, really just dive in like at first. Um, is how did you prepare for this role, and just the the things that would come with it? This one was, uh, you know, this one was not that difficult to be quite honest with you. Um, Certain films and certain genres and certain characters require different things from you, and um, either physicality um, or an you know an accent you know or 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 something um, a look or whatever uh, an impediment a physical ailment of something you know whatever they they ask, they ask different things from you. This was pretty straightforward. Um, I did, there wasn't a lot about BD in the script um, that told you much of who he was and where he was from, other than that he was the alpha dog in this group of guys. And um, so I just, I just really kind of had to look at the script and just kind of figure out not what, he did, but his actions, what he did, you know, and and then just kind of lace it from there. Um, I did have a, a, I did end up thinking about a con, uh, like an, an archetype of another character from a film that popped into my head. The more I thought about him, because you know he was an enigma, you know. So me and Pat figured he probably owned the, the car dealership, the liquor store, um, uh, you know, uh, a, 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 some type of a, um, you know, businesses in town, and he was probably the guy. It's a big fish in a little pond. And he liked to kind of, 
you know, pop off and play mind games and manipulate people. So, you know, he had a little of that kind of maybe a, a pompous asshole, manipulative, you know, kind of a jackass, you know. Um, and so there was a character in, in, in Patrick Swayze's Roadhouse um, that, uh, uh, God, what is his name? The guy who played the, 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 the mayor, the big owner of the town. Uh, um, ben Gazzara, okay, um, and he—if you remember that film—he was—he was just a prick, you know. And he ran that down, and he didn't like it. And I kind of, you know, as I started thinking about BD, I, he felt kind of like that kind of guy, you know. Um, uh, and so I kind of played with that. The only thing about BD is I just wanted to make sure that he was. He was a little bit mysterious because there were times when he was an asshole. There were some times <laughs> when he was a, a manipulative joker. There were times when he was uh, uh, kind, like he offered um, Ashley his coat so she wouldn't be cold, you know, which was kind of a gracious, empathetic thing. But then he turns around and puts his foot down, you know, when she, when she starts giving him shit and he don't know whether or not he's going to actually do something to her. Or looks at her like he's a perv, and you don't, you know, you don't really know exactly if he's just a narcissist, a blowhard, or he actually could be dangerous. And he was kind of set up to be what we think is the, uh, you know, the villain. Although he's really kind of an anti-villain because we come to find out that there's something far more dangerous in the forest than BD. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, I love it. So for the, for um, our listeners that haven't had a chance to, to actually screen the film, um, do you know when the film will be available for, I guess, purchase or direct download? I, you know, I, that is something that's completely out of my hands. Um, um, well, all I know is that it's going to be nationwide, select about 400 cities, on February 27th. It could be more cities, depending on how sales go. It's being partnered with AMC Theaters, Regal Cinemas, and Cinemark through Fathom Events. Um, and it's going to be a one-night event. Um, uh, and it will also feature uh, the making of, behind-the-scenes, cast interviews, um, uh, stuff like that, uh, because it's going to be more of an event. You're going to see the film, and you're also going to talk to uh, the director and cast and whatever else um, about the making of it. So you can kind of get a little bit, you know, a little bit more intimate with the film. They're going to do it one night. Now, they may do another event if it goes well in another select group of 400 cities. I don't know exactly. Um, I understand they're going to probably do some type of fathom event in Europe as well. Oh, international. And do it that way. Well, you know, AMC's got 8,000 screens worldwide. Wow. So, so um, I, I and I've never heard of what a FADM event is, but the, the best way I can process it is that rather than waiting for the studios to deliver and make available movies that have budgets where they're advertising and they can fill theaters, since they have so much screen space available, they will pick projects that they think are, are branded and they will partner and run these advertisements and these promotions 
within their own theaters to drive sales without the help of studios. Hmm. So and I look at them as kind of like um, concert promoters, you know. Promoter comes into town, he's going to do a concert of U2, and it's going to be, you know, in Nashville at some arena somewhere. And then they pound it out. Well, these guys do that kind of thing in concert together within their own theaters where they have eyes on their trailers every single day. Okay. And and they push out, they'll grab something that's, something that's probably fairly branded, like, Fathom Events will do concerts. They do they do uh, boxing matches, you know things that that people will are aware of, and that will want to be able to go see something. You know, you could do like a Fathom event of Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. Well, a lot of people in the world are familiar with Dark Side of the Moon, and that would be something that would probably warrant people going into a theater to experience it. You know, um, uh, Bigfoot's branded. I mean, you could ask probably 10 people on the street in Memphis there. Have you ever heard of Bigfoot? Probably almost <laughs> yeah. all of them. Are, they're going to, you know, yeah, of course. <laughs> so, you, so, you know, so so when you have that kind of awareness and a, kind of a built-in awareness in the world and the brand, then, you know, it would warrant a film to go through a fathom event. That's, that's how I'm processing it. I'm just talking out of my ass, but that's what it seems like to me. But I mean, um, yeah, you know, so there, I, you know, they'll probably do it in Europe, and you know, the distributor Blue Fox Entertainment um, is is kind of running that whole side of it, um, uh, and they're the ones that have, have taken it in this direction. As far as downloads and DVD, um, I couldn't even tell you. Um, it would be my, you know, it would be my hope that that they don't do it for a while. Because the second that shit hits the internet, it's done. Yeah, it's burned. It's 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 burned. It's ripped, um, and you know, people won't go see the movie the way it should be seen. You know, um, uh, and you know, and it you know affects the revenue. You know, and everything else. So I I would I would hope that they would just continue to do it like this um, for a while, and then you know, once they you know feel like they've got what they're going to get out of it. As far as theatrical, you know, then it'll go out. Um, uh, I would probably, I mean, I would imagine it's probably be six months or so. But, you know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, who knows? No, um, I don't know, you know. Yeah, I don't either. I don't either. Um, Marshall, um, where can our listeners find out more about you and keep abreast of um, your upcoming projects? Um, well, you know, we... Um, uh, uh, <laughs> Yeah, we have to do the whole, uh, you know, internet pimping. Um, uh, (laughs) It's, you know, it's it's really weird, you know. You're caught between a rock and a hard place. You know, if you don't have, if you don't push and you don't have fans and you don't have a brand, you don't work. And there are people that like to be brands that don't do anything at all, you know. And then there are people that, you know, like me, I, I, I have to do it. So, um uh facebook instagram uh twitter um those are the big three i you know, my, my my website marshall uh marshallhilton.com that's one l marshall with one l hilton.com and in the same marshall hilton at instagram twitter facebook and you know we're constantly putting stuff out there um uh my publicist is october coast 
His name is Clint Morris, and he's banging out a lot of stuff. We've, you know, we're putting out a lot of interviews on this on this film right now, and you know, we'll just keep pushing. And so, you know, you got to push. Absolutely, absolutely, I totally agree. Um, yeah, the squeaky we- the squeaky wheel gets greased. <laughs> sure does. It sure does. Um, Marshall, what would you say you you want the biggest takeaway from your legacy to be? I mean, you you've been doing uh, acting for so long now, and um, believe it or not, you're an inspiration for a lot of people. Um, what would you say is like the biggest takeaway that um, you want people to get from your legacy and the, the work that you've done? Well, I would say that there's two audiences for that question. There's your colleagues in the business, and then there are the people that are that are fans of the work. Um, on the colleagues that are in the business side, um, I'm always going to be ready. I'm always going to be ready to work. Um, it's not going to be a lot of bullshit, and um, that I that I prepare and I care deeply what I'm going to do, and I will be respectful of, of their efforts and very thankful when anybody invites me to, to to come in and work and pay me to do something that is enjoyable. You know, um, uh, I feel like you know if somebody wants me and they're they're hiring me because of that standard that they expect, it's very flattering and 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 I and I don't take that lightly at all because there's a lot of bullshit out there, um, and I don't want to be part of that. I just want to work and do good stuff um, and be respectful and thankful to my director, my producers, and my fellow actors. That's that side. Um, on the audience side, um, I just I just hope that they dig what I do, um, and maybe they'll they'll become a fan and they'll go, hey, you know what? Uh, I want to see that next movie that that guy does because the reality is is if the fans will come to see you, then I will have a chance to give you more. If the fans will come to see you and like and click and share and write and, and do nice and, and and get all that in, information out and they actually pay for stuff, okay, um, I get a chance to give you more. That's true. Um, if, that is true. It, it, it is truly true. If if and, and and that's how it works. If you respond with your dollar, then the people that are investing in the next movie will say, "Hey, you know what? His numbers did pretty good last time around. Um, he's got fans out there, and we have a chance to make some cash." It, it really kind of, honestly, it comes down to the commerce, you know, and un- mm-hmm. it's unfortunate. But it comes down to commerce. Um, uh, you know, we work real hard. People invest big money, serious money into movies. And, you know, the only way we get a chance to do another one is if they make some of that money back, you know. Um, and if, if you have an audience that's, that digs you and they like you and they're willing to put down nine bucks for a rental or, or whatever the case may be, um, uh, it matters and it helps me be able to say, hey, you know, I want to do some more, and 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 I hope they like what I do. You know, mm-hmm. that's 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 really that's the bottom line. Because without them, we get nothing. Yeah, Seriously, that is true. That's very true. Yeah, um, that's why these that's why fan conventions and stuff like that are so cool. Because you know, I, there's a couple that I go to here. Um, I haven't really been traveling and chasing them that much. Um, but 
when you get a chance, you know, when somebody walks up to you at a table and they're looking at you and you go, dude, you were blah, 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 you know, and I thought that was freaking awesome or blah, 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 or whatever they say, you know. Um, that's when you really get a chance to go, wow, wow, you know, I'm glad. Thank you very much, you know. Hopefully I get to do another one for you. Buy this one. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Because um, because then, then I'll have a, then I'll have a chance to do another one, you know. Um, it's it's a funny dynamic. It really is. Sure is. It definitely is. Well, Marshall, I just want to thank you so much for uh, coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. Um, I um, had a um, a great time talking with you and just getting to know, like you know, what you. You know, you had to say, I mean, you really opened my eyes to uh, not only the, you know, life in the industry, but just also some insight into the work that you've done. So I just really want to say, um, you know, thank you so much. It's been um, an honor having you on today's show. And I'm all out of questions, but I wanted to open the floor to you if there's anything you have to say to our listening audience. Well, I, I couldn't, I missed that last part. Oh, um, I was just saying that um, it's been great having you on. I mean, you've been a huge inspiration for me, and just uh, hearing your story and everything that you, you know, the, the everything that's gone into your work has just been really, really eye-opening for me, just the way that things, you know, work in the industry and, you know, also just what it was like, you know, working on these films that I've come to love that you've done. And so just wanted to say thank you and um, wanted to open the floor to you if there's anything you'd like to say to our listening audience. Um, well, I have, uh, never been to Memphis and it would be great to shoot a movie there. Ooh, okay. <laughs> All right. So any of your listeners out there got a little extra cheese in their wallet and they kind of want to like, you know, get in the mix, uh, you know how to reach me. Um, <laughs> um, uh, just, just thank them. You know, I hope they dig it. You know, uh, Primal Rage is, is, is a fun popcorn movie, and, you know, don't try and think too hard about it. Just kind of get in there and just, you know, prepare to have some moments where you go, oh, shit, you know? Oh, my God. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, thanks for uh, spending this little moment of your day listening to this old bastard talk. <laughs> what the <laughs> I didn't expect you to say that. <laughs> well, uh, Marshall, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Well, you know how to find me and keep tabs and 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 uh, you know reach out and uh, you know do what you got to do. And uh, if you guys ever have any conventions or anything like that, and you're part of any of the promotions or whatever, just you know call me or reach me through social media or whatever the case may be. And, you know, we'll figure out a way to get my old ass down there and, and, and uh, enjoy the fruits of Memphis. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And the great barbecue here. <laughs> oh, you know, I, I already know that I already know. I already know. <laughs> my mouth is watering just thinking about it. <laughs> right on. Well, thank you so much, Marshall. I really appreciate it.